It would be fun one day, week to have you do that, though. Just Some of you, it might help you stay awake. It's early in the morning. Um, I'm Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden. And this week, we're talking about no one but Jesus only. That's actually the last few words in the passage, the text, that we're going to look at this week. Um, A theophany is a visible manifestation of the creator, usually granted to central figures in God's redemptive plan. That's what a a theophany is. Theophany is when God manifests himself to some degree, in some way, to important figures in God's redemptive plan. There's a few examples of this. Uh, Like, for example, Moses had the burning bush. That's kind of an example of a theophany. And the transfiguration is what we're going to be talking about today, where Moses and Elijah and Jesus were together on a hill with the disciples watching. That's in the same type of spirit of a theophany, an appearance of the creator to key central figures in God's redemptive plan. Let's look at the passage. Matthew 17, 1 through 8. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. So it's just the four of them. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter says, Jesus, it's a really good, cool thing that we're here. If it's okay with you, I'd like to build three little tents One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, and it's okay. We'll stay outside, but it's really cool for you guys. We just want to stay here for a while. Can we build you guys a little house? And while he was still speaking his ridiculous idea, that's inserted. That's not really in the Scripture, the ridiculous idea part. That's commentary. We're allowed to do that. Commentary. While he was still speaking, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And I imagine it sounded like that guy who played Darth Vader. What's his name? James. It sounded, this is my beloved son. It probably sounded like James Earl Jones, Field of Dreams, all that guy. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's key. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is an amazing story, the the transfiguration. The The participants, besides the disciples and Jesus, are Moses and Elijah. And Moses represents the law. The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. That's what Moses represents here in this meeting of Jewish minds. And Elijah represents the Word of God and the fact that he was the most revered prophet. And the job of the prophet was to speak the words that God wanted to share with his people. So what you have there in one big meeting is Jesus, Moses representing the law, and Elijah representing the Word of God. Now, here's a problem with this, because when we know this, access through Moses to God was limited by the law. In other words, the only way you could get to God is if you kept every letter 
of the law. So we see there that in this aspect, Moses represents a pathway to God that's impossible. Moses represents a connection to God that is unable for us to even think about approaching or attaining. For an example, when Moses had a, a little interaction with God at one point, when he got the Ten Commandments, it says when he came down from the mountain, they had to put a veil over his face because of the radiant glory of God was too bright for people to even look at. And the concept is this, that God's righteousness and God's goodness and God's greatness is so amazing that we can't really even look at God because his brightness would kill us. As a matter of fact, Paul explains this because the law was not good enough to grant us full access to God. I have a passage I'm going to read to you. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 to 18. I'm going to read the first couple verses and then focus on the last few. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Hear what Paul says? We have a hope and we are bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Jews might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old law, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read and a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And what Paul describes there, and it sounds poetic and flowery, maybe complicated, here's what he's saying. Moses and the law could not get you even close to God, but we have boldness through Jesus. Not only can we get close to God, we are made, transformed into his likeness. Do you see how superior Jesus is to Moses? The law was revered. The law was worshipped. The law was important to Jewish people. And one of the things the transfiguration teaches us is this. The law is no longer necessary. Then the second thing we see is that access to God through Elijah is limited by words. See, Elijah was limited in his reach. The only people that could hear the word of God from Elijah was the people within the sound of his voice. There were, he didn't have like, you know, the ElijahDailyBlog.org that's delivered to your inbox conveniently so you can read the word of God that day. It was only what he was saying and who could hear him. Elijah was limited in audience. It was only for Israel and maybe certain other rulers and then also, Elijah was limited in grace. Oftentimes, his words were not, everything is just fine. It was more like warnings, you know? It was like, uh, you know, you're in trouble, dude. You're going to lose everything you got. God has turned his back on you. I mean, it was harsh stuff. It's like the headlines of the New York Times kind of stuff. Bad things. And Elijah would travel from place to place, speaking to kings and to people. All the speech that God would give him, he would talk about their corruption and their need of correction and their need of admonishment. 
And he was by far the greatest, most revered prophet in Jewish history. But Elijah's words were simple speech, and he couldn't bring these words to pass. All he could do was repeat them. But Christ embodied them all and fulfilled all the words. With Jesus, all the speech of heaven begins and ends. And in him, every prophecy that Elijah could merely speak, Jesus fulfills. One of my favorite verses or passages in the whole Bible. I forgot to give you that. Just remember that, all right? Reach, audience, and grace. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Stop right there. We talked about this a few weeks ago, did we not? We talked a little bit about the New World Translation and how it takes out was and puts was a. Changed the whole concept. But you see the difference here? In the beginning was the Word, capital. Remember we talked about all caps not too long ago? In the beginning, it was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The other thing that translation I told you about says, in Him all other things were made. And so what we see in this actual correct translation of this passage is that the Word, capital W, is a proper noun, it's Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is not only, the, he's the living Word of God. He's not the spoken Word. He's the living Word. And so what I want to make sure you understand, it's kind of like speech, but with multi-dimensions. See, with speech, you can read it and you can hear it, but you can't feel it. With Jesus, you hear it, you read it, you feel it, the body of Christ. So I want to take just a few moments and talk about how they must have felt. This appearance of Christ, first of all, confirms his fulfillment of the old covenant. And remember, that's the message that Matthew has been trying to communicate the whole time, right? I've taught you that through the first few chapters of Matthew, that Matthew's job was to convince Jews that Jesus was Messiah, the one they were waiting for. That Jesus is the God of salvation, and it's based on his work and his words and not the Jews' traditional beliefs. He was on a higher plane than Judaism, even higher than the two most revered characters in Jewish lore, Moses and Elijah. And here's what's amazing to me. Initially, Peter and the guys didn't get this. And Peter was eerily comfortable. So much so that Peter, now think about this, here's Peter. Not a polished religious scholar, remember. Right in front of Moses and Elijah and Jesus, Peter has this incredible boldness to offer his opinion. You know, Jesus is talking. Hey, Jesus, can I interrupt you for a second? I know it's Moses and Elijah. Oh, they're cool. Listen, this is a great place to be. I have an idea. I don't know, Jesus, maybe you haven't thought of this. We'd love to hang out here for a while. Why don't you let James and John and I build a little tent for you? We'll build one for Elijah, and we'll build one for Moses, 
and let us just hang out here with all three of you together. This is a great reunion. And this is Peter offering up his opinion on what Jesus and the guys should do in the middle of this amazing, I mean, if, think about this. I would think that if it happened to me, I would be speechless. But Peter stands up and says, hey, I got a great idea, God. I don't know if you thought about this. I know you created the world and all, but I got a great idea. And Matthew tells us exactly that while Peter was saying this to build the tents, God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is my beloved son with whom, and and a good translation of this, this is my beloved son with whom I am fully satisfied. Moses couldn't satisfy me. Elijah couldn't satisfy me. But Jesus satisfies me. Listen to his words. In other words, Moses and Elijah are no longer the authorities. This guy is. He supersedes anything. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. So Peter goes from extreme confidence to extreme fear. We talked about that last week with the walking on the water. He seems to do that. I'd have an ulcer if I were Peter. I don't know how he does it. (laughs) Go back and forth. And then Jesus came and touched them. This is Jesus who just talked to Moses and Elijah in the presence of God. God makes his declaration. The other things don't matter. He's the one I'm fully satisfied. This Jesus, by the way, when, when Moses had interaction with God, they couldn't even look at him. They had to put a veil over him. And every time the law was read, Paul says, the veil was never lifted. Jesus goes and touches them. This is the living word. This is the fulfillment of the law. This is the fulfillment of the prophets in flesh. And he reaches down, the scripture says, he touched them. It's significant that Matthew puts that in there. He touched them saying, rise up, don't be afraid. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What does that mean? Matthew saying Moses and Elijah were no longer important. Jesus superseded them. Now, how do you think the disciples felt right after this? All week I struggled with how to recreate because my goal was, I mean, I just went through the wonky theology part of it with you, right? And hopefully you were able to track with me. And all week I wanted to try to figure out a way to recreate the emotion that they must have felt. And I would write something and I would throw it away. And I would write something and I'd, no, that's not right. And I'd look for a video and the videos were terrible. I, I just, I couldn't figure it out. Then I remembered an old preacher from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. His name is S.M. Lockridge. And I started doing some research on him because I remember he had some really good sermons, and I found one called The Lordship of Christ. And I listened to like the last six minutes of it, and I went, that's it. That's how they must have felt. And I listened to it a couple times, and I had Megan listen to it. I had Mike listen to it. I had a couple other people listen to it. I said, guys, I'm going to do something really risky on Sunday. I'm, I'm going to allow another pastor to preach for six minutes. He's dead. It's not a video. And it's six minutes of somebody else talking that's not here. Should I do it? Is it my imagination, or is this really powerful? And they said, no, it's powerful. And what I realized 
was that as I was listening, I got a glimpse into how Peter and James and John must have felt when Jesus reached down and said, don't be afraid. I completely satisfied dad. Listen to what I'm telling you. Jesus Christ is Lord. So I'm going to play this for you now. So if you guys are ready to bring that up, just bring it up. It's six minutes, and I'll say some things at the end. Just watch this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Jesus is Lord. He came down the stairway of heaven, born in Bethlehem, brought up in Nazareth, baptized in Jordan, Tempted in the wilderness, performed miracles by the roadside, healed multitudes without medicine and made no charges for his service. He conquered everything that came up against him. He even went up on Calvary and died there and then went down in the grave. And there cleaned out the grave and made it a pleasant place to wait for the resurrection. And then on scheduled time, by the might of his own power, he got up with every form of power in the orbit of his omnipotence. Men have been trying to wrestle his power from him all these years. And then, then they are trying to wait. They think that maybe one time his power will fail. Men have tried to destroy him, but don't you know you can't destroy him? What you're going to use for power? All power belongs to him. Well, if you try to destroy him by fire, he'll refuse to burn. If you try to destroy him by water, he'll walk on the water. If you try to destroy him by a strong wind, the tempest will lick his hand and lay down at his feet. If you try to destroy him with a law, you'll find no fault in him. If you try to destroy him with the seal of an empire, he'll break it. If you try to destroy him by putting him in a grave, he'll rise. If you try to destroy him by rejection or ignoring him, before you know it, you'll hear a still, small voice saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Man, open the door. I'll come in and sup with him. He's Lord. Yes, he is. He's Lord. He's the pearl from paradise. He's the gem from the glory land. He's the true fairest of the jewel. He's time's choicest theme. He's life's strongest cord. He's light's clearest ray. He's purity's whitest peak. He's glory's stateless summit. He's Lord. His name stands as a synonym for free healing, friendly help, and full salvation. He blessed 
His blessed name is like honey to the taste. It's like harmony to the ear. It's like health to the soul. It's like hope to the heart. I'm trying to tell you, he's Lord. Yes, he is. He is higher than the heaven of heaven, and he's holier than the holy of holies. He's Lord. In his birth is our significance. In his life is our example. In his cross is our redemption. In his resurrection is our hope. He's Lord. In his, at his birth, men came from the east. At his death, men came from the west. And the east and the west met in him. He's Lord. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. He's Lord. And the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And he, yes, he will. He's going to reign. And you don't have to worry. There will come a time when every knee is going to bow. Not only at the name, but to the name. And every knee is going to bow in the name. Whoa! Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. I confess that he's my Lord. I love to call him my Lord. The Lord is love. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want for rest. For he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I shall not want for refreshment, for he leadeth me beside still waters. I shall not want for forgiveness, for he restoreth my soul. I shall not want for companionship, for yea, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. I shall not want for comfort, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I shall not want for sustenance, for he, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not want for joy, for thou knowest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I shall not want for anything in this life, for goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall not want for anything in the life to come, for I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Is he yours? You can crown him king in your own heart right now. You can crown him Lord of all in your heart right now. Um, man, I wish I could preach like that. Not all the time, but just sometimes, you know. Think that's how they felt? Think? Nothing else mattered. They didn't care about the tents then. That's how they must have felt. He's the Lord of my life. I crown him king in my own heart right now. 
We don't need church righteousness. The silly veils of religion that we so vigorously defend. We don't need politics. You don't need Republicans and Democrats, even Libertarians. We don't think, need things that we constantly build memorials for. We name this tree after one person and this sidewalk after another, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we don't need those memorials. Yes, they remind us of cool things, but we don't need them. We don't need all the pomp and circumstance of how we worship and when we worship and why and, and how we dress and how we don't dress. And We don't need all that. We don't need flowery rhetoric, these and thys and thous and those. We don't need that stuff. We don't need pews and organs. We don't need guitars and drums. No offense to the musicians. Guys, these are things we like. Maybe even things we love. But they're not things we need. We only need Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am completely, fully satisfied. Listen to him. You can crown him king in your own heart right now.